man, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a really, really big deal. Um, I know it just kind of seems to kind of come and go, but it's a really big deal uh, what you're watching here, here at Mosaic Church, the journey uh, that we take to see uh, a person become a qualified elder. It isn't weeks in the making or months in the making. It is years in the making, years. They go through years of process here uh, in order to demonstrate uh, with clarity that we can say to you with authenticity, uh, you can follow those guys as they follow Jesus. Uh, they are not perfect, but they are, as Paul would say, people who are striving daily to know more of Jesus and be more like Jesus. Uh, and they are men that have demonstrated, along with their wives, uh, uh, a, a commitment to Christ centrality and to gospel centrality. So uh, we are grateful for the um, weightiness that those guys and their wives have now taken on on your behalf and on our behalf. Uh, and I would ask you to continue to pray not only for those two, but... Uh, we have over 20 elders here. Uh, and so just be praying for the elders of your church. Uh, pastors and elders here are the same thing. So uh, your pastors, your elders, pray for them. Uh, they stand in a place in the spiritual spaces that you don't have to. Uh, so that you don't have to. And so don't forget that. It feels like a small thing, but it's a really big thing. Uh, and, and that really has been uh, one of the big giant themes that Paul has been laying out as he's been writing this incredible letter to the church in Philippi, th that we uh, as Christ followers should follow Jesus and take on the attitude of Christ and that then uh, we should follow one another as we follow Jesus, that you ought to be a person if you know Jesus, that others can follow as you follow Christ and you ought to look to the others around you who are following Jesus to do the same. And, and what a privilege it is that uh, we then, uh, in addition to that, have uh, leaders, elders that are, 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 are marked and tested to say, are you following Jesus well, so that we can say, follow these people as they follow Christ. This is what Paul's been doing. Uh, in the letter of Philippians, we are uh, coming to the end of this letter. Uh, it's insane to believe. And I know for many of you, it's, it's perhaps just kind of another another Sunday moving through to the end of the letter to move on to what comes next. Uh, for me, it's a little different. Uh, some of these books, Philippians would be included on a very short list. I have waited decades to arrive at to preach and I feel a certain grief when I'm walking out of the other side of the letter coming to its end and going, it's now behind us. I have to perhaps wait two decades to preach it again. And so, you didn't catch that, did you? Uh, it's, it's all right. Uh, and, and so there is a, there is a certain uh, loss to the, the leaving of a place we've become familiar with. But what a gain it is that now settled into our hearts and minds is the extraordinary realities that Paul wrote to the Philippians about that the spirit of God inspired Paul not only to write to them about, but also to us. So now we hold in our hearts and minds, in addition to all of the other spaces we've traveled, we hold now the truths of Philippians deeply embedded. This is what uh, I know that the spirit of God meant for us through Paul when he said, may the word of God dwell richly in your hearts. 
right? It, it should be alive in us. And uh, I am uh, sure that for many of us, the book of Philippians will now remain as a living thing within us as we remember the realities that we walked through. So the book of Philippians has covered a lot of ground. And today we end with the last few little verses, uh, uh, a a greeting, if you will, a a sort of a goodbye. But before we get there, I I want to set the context uh, into which these verses fall. Because again, as I've said many times, it may seem as though this is two or three verses to to just kind of like, well, uh, hey man, we greet you and these guys greet you. uh, Grace to you, end of story. But again, there is so much here waiting to be mined, but in order to mine it rightly, we need a context. Now, the one difference, I'm just gonna give you a heads up because you might be going, okay, I'm ready to open my Bibles. About half the sermon today is the context and introduction. And the other half uh, are the verses we're going to touch based on. So sit back, relax for about 10 or 12 minutes, maybe 15. We'll see uh, as we set the context and are reminded of where we have traveled so that we don't in some ways forget. So where did Paul go? Remember that Epaphroditus brought a gift to Paul from the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi was the first church that Paul established in the region of Macedonia. So as he crossed over the Aegean Sea, coming from Antioch, going south of Bithynia, north of Asia Minor, uh, into uh, the, uh, the, the Macedonian area, uh, sort of Eastern Europe, if you want to think about it uh, like that. This was the first biblical community that he I had the privilege of sort of planting then. So he's got long history with these guys. Uh, You remember that this particular city was a city where a lot of the Roman hierarchy retired to. So there was a deep nationalism, a deep patriotism in the city to Rome and to the King of Rome. So when Paul was preaching in Philippi, He faced great hostility from the people of Philippi because they were, uh, they had that feeling, this king that Paul is preaching, this kingdom Paul is preaching stands against that to which we are loyal. And so now the church in Philippi has continued to experience this kind of persecution as it has grown Uh, from that city, that as the kingdom of God emerges and the King Jesus emerges, that those who are patriotic to the nation in which they stand uh, uh, find it difficult whenever the kingdom of God opposes something of their nationalism. And so Paul is writing to the church in Philippi to thank them for their gift from Epaphroditus, but also to say, as we engage in a real world and every generation, yours and those who will come, will find themselves in a space on this planet, in a culture. And that culture will stand in some form opposed to the gospel. In some form it may align, who knows? But whether it is aligned a bit or opposed a bit, what it is not is the kingdom of God that stands above the King Jesus. So every culture, every nation, when we become Christ followers, we are not submitted first to that culture or that nation, but to Jesus and his kingdom. So this is what Paul is now going to express. And he says, if we follow Jesus and his kingdom, and because we do, we are persecuted, that's okay. That's okay. The 
the other scenario where we avoid persecution to align ourselves in any which way we can to try and match the culture or nation in which we're in, that's where the trouble begins. And so he's like, okay, so we're going to live this out. There's the letter he's going to write. So what does he do? As Philippians begins chapter one, verses one through 11, uh, Paul greets them and thanks them because this is a thank you letter for the gift. So remember, he starts with a thank you and he ends with a thank you because it's like, hey, thanks for the gift. We talked about that last week. Starts with a thank you. But in this thank you, he says, I'm grateful for you all and your partnership in the gospel. And he speaks into the lives of the Philippians, this truth that sets a foundation for everything else he's going to cover in this letter. He says, I am confident of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So as we get going in a letter that's gonna call us to many things, he starts by saying, who started this work in you? Thank you. I was like, silence won't work right here. Jesus, who is doing the work as we speak? Jesus, and who will finish this work? Jesus, so who do we have confidence in? Jesus, how do we get this done? Through Jesus, it's not you proving to him how faithful you are. It's him proving to you how faithful he is. This is where it all begins. Now, since he's faithful and he's working and he will finish, what does that mean for you and I as we participate with him in this great work, both in us and through us? And so after verse 11, he moves into his own story. And Paul says, listen, my story uh, is a great example. From an earthly perspective, it may seem that my story has gone a, a, a strange direction. I was on my way to Spain to preach the gospel there, to expand into the known world, and I got stuck in prison. So you might say, oh gosh, what's happened? How did it go wrong? But in God's kingdom, as he works on this planet, there is no how did it go wrong? Because in any circumstance, any space, are you, should you, uh, are we called to make the gospel beautiful, to represent the gospel? Whether on our way to Spain or in prison, what is our job description as Christ followers now? to represent Jesus and make the gospel beautiful. So Paul says, it may seem like I'm stuck, but I'm not stuck at all. In fact, being here in prison has advanced the gospel into incredible spaces, including uh, the guards around me. Uh, I mean, this is Rome embedded, right? I mean, if, if ever there's a place where the Roman culture stands firm, it's the guard standing by his door and the house of Caesar right? I mean, he's in the middle of it. And he's like, the gospel is advancing here in a place perhaps we could not have imagined it would advance. Little did Paul perhaps even know that a even bigger story was emerging insofar as the only reason we even have a letter called Philippians that is the inspired word of God by the Holy Spirit for us today is because Paul wasn't in Spain, but in prison. If he were in Spain preaching the gospel, perhaps we would have no Philippians. So God was at work in ways beyond Paul's vision and in ways that Paul could even see as he was there. The gospel's advancing even here in these circumstances in prison. And then Paul moves from uh, verse 26, chapter one into verse 27. And he says, look, at the end of the day, here's what all this means. 
that our lives, once we come to know Jesus, are now to be shaped by our new King Jesus and his kingdom. They are not to be shaped by the cultural context in which you live. You can live in that context. You can shape that context. You can, uh, you can step alongside that context. Uh, you can agree or disagree with that context, but you should never be shaped by that context. What shapes you is what our King Jesus says. What shapes you is what his kingdom is about. And so our calling, our job is to know him and to know his kingdom so that we would know what should shape us so that we are not making our decisions based on knowledge we have gained from planet earth, but we are gaining our knowledge from his word about his kingdom and about him as king so that we would follow his way. And so Paul says, listen, that's how this rolls now. We are to be shaped by our new king and his kingdom. So know his kingdom, know this king. That is how it is to be. And then in chapter two, verse six, uh, he writes this poem, this hymn, if you will, that says, and by the way, this is our king. And it is perhaps one of the most beautiful, uh, short descriptions of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, a summary of the gospel, if you will, like Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, this little section, uh, uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, verses six through 11 is here is your king and his work, which is the gospel. And what does it say? It speaks of his incarnation that he became man like us, entered the flesh, that's incarnation. He became one of us. It speaks of his life. It speaks of his death. It speaks of his resurrection. And it speaks of his exaltation. In one little poem, verses six through 11, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, here is your king. And then it says, all of this incredible work, which is the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, died, rose, is exalted and is our king and our savior. It says, and this all because his attitude opposed the attitude of mankind. Even at our best, pay attention to what I'm about to say, even at our best, Adam and Eve, before the fall of mankind, mankind at our best, we chose to take on prerogatives that were not ours to take. And in so doing saw sin come. Jesus took his prerogatives, his rights by status that were his to take and emptied himself of them to become for us, like us and die and rise and live for us. And so he says, look, while we take on things that don't belong to us, Jesus, things belonging to him, he sets them aside for the sake of you all. So let our attitudes be that of the attitude of our king, which says when there are prerogatives, rights because of status, set status aside, set those rights aside because status is useless and prerogatives are useless when we belong to King Jesus because he is more than both of those things will ever be. And so Paul begins to set a pace. This is how it works. In chapter two, verse 12, all the way through 30, he now steps in and he, 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 he sets this call. 
He says uh, to all of you, to all of you that belong to Jesus, now let us follow him. Let our lives be worthy of this king and this kingdom. Let us follow our king. And then he uses two examples. Look at Timothy. Timothy is someone that follows our king. How do we know? Because he sees the needs of others more importantly than he sees his own needs and sets himself aside for those. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then he says, look at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus set aside his needs and risked his life to bring your gift to me. This is what it looks like to be like Jesus, to see others more importantly than you see yourself and to risk yourself self, your well-being, your things for the sake of his story, not yours. Why? Because what Paul is saying is at a certain point when we become followers of Jesus, our story is now his story. We live for his story, not for our story. So what is our story that we try to live for? Set that aside and ask yourself, what of this day, of this moment, of what I am and what I have can be brought to the table for his glory, for his sake, for his redemption, for his kingdom, for, for him, for him. This is what Paul is getting to. And then he moves into chapter three, verses one through chapter four, verses one. And Paul says, so I've given you Timothy. I've given you Epaphroditus. Now let me share my story with you. And he says, man, I had status. As far as the world goes, I had a ton of it. Perhaps the most in my cultural context. And yet... I have discovered that all of that status I held is rubbish, useless, nothing. It's pointless. And so I have emptied myself of my status, not because I am noble like Jesus, but because in fact, in some ways I discovered how useless it is. Let me pause here for a second, because we are a culture that is driven by status. So maybe this is a good little moment just to kind of pause and say, in the rushing through of this incredible letter, here's a good moment to pay attention. You and I, whether we like it or not, because we are human, because we are American, meaning Western, we are obsessed with the realities of where we stand among one another, our status. We measure one another by our status. And it could be status by many things. Your notoriety, your wealth, your uh, uh, athletic ability, your cognitive ability, your competencies. I mean, we've got a long list of things we can bring to the table to try to set status. Anything that sets me above you is helpful to my little soul to feel better about my value. In a culture that has bred us from the second we're born with thoughts like you can be whatever you want to be, you should be whatever you want to be, do what you love, don't, uh, love, no, love and don't love what you do. You know that whole thing. Love what you do, don't do anything you don't love. And I'm like, that's not the story of this. That entire story is about how you are supposed to be happy and you are supposed to be awesome and you are supposed to be content by the realities of what you create for you and what you demand everybody else creates for you. Our well-being can never be stable in the greatest of kingdoms we can establish on this planet. It is a lie and we live in it. And so what he is saying here is, listen, man, I, Paul, have discovered that all that I held to to say, look, I matter. 
didn't make me matter anymore because I didn't even matter with all of that. But when I found Jesus and he said, you matter to me, then I matter. And so I'm going to spend the rest of my life embedding myself in this King Jesus because he is where I find my everything. And since that's where I find my everything, if he says it, I'll do it. If he does it, I'll do it. If he goes, I'll go. If he stays, I'll stay. If he, whatever it is, I just want me to be like he. And then he says, and that, by the way, is what I'm striving for every day. Have I yet attained it, Paul says? No, 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 no. But man, when I wake up in the morning, if I do something today that is not like him, if I have an attitude not like him, a thought not like him, behaviors not like him, when I see them, I try to say, oh, that's not like him and his kingdom. So spirit of God, as you are working in me to bring to completion that which you started, would you reorder that, reshape that, transform that so that I might be like you? Because when I am like you, I am both now representing your story and I am more free because our freedom is Jesus. Our freedom is nothing else. It is not found in anything else. And then In chapter four, verse two, he now steps into the church of Philippi and says, so FYI, this all sounds awesome, but it is real life, real stuff. It happens day to day in your actual life. It's a convenience, isn't it? A little bit that we can hear these things on a Sunday morning. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. But then on Monday morning, when we're waking up uh, in, in the house with the other humans that may live there, or if we live alone, when we leave that house, the other humans are right outside uh, rolling their trash cans down the little driveway, or the other humans are on the road, or the other humans are in the workplace, or the other humans on your social networks. They're everywhere. Now they even sit on the little device right next to you, comparing themselves to you and you to them. The second we, oh! And what he's saying here is this, listen, this thing I'm talking about, it's got to happen right here in the real every day. So let's start here. And what does he say? He talks to two women in the church that are awesome woman that he loves dearly, that he served with. And he's like, you two, I heard, are having a little disagreement a little division, a little fight, and you're not, you're not making it right. So come on, people, find the person that you're not right with and make it right with them. See what I love about Paul here and what the Spirit of God is doing is he doesn't just go big picture on us. Let us live like Jesus in the big picture. Let all your anxieties be set aside. Set your mind on things that are excellent. He starts here. The person you're not getting along with, fix it. What? That's a big deal. That's a big thing. Because the life of Jesus isn't only in our big spaces. Uh, The life of Jesus should be shaping us in our teeny, tiny, little, irritating spaces. And so we strive there first. And then he says, while you two are working that out, like the rest of you should work your stuff out. Also, when you are anxious about the big things, don't be anxious, but trust Jesus and set your mind on the things that are his kingdom and and embed yourself, your thinking, your way in his way. And there you will find your peace. Your peace will not come from a set of circumstances, relational dynamics or resource realities that make you okay. Even when those things are okay, your peace is fleeting at best because your peace is founded in something that is not stable. So your peace is not 
stable, but Jesus is stable. So the more you find your peace in his promises, in his being, in his personhood, in his future for you, and in his here and now with you, you will never be truly peaceful. So he says, small picture, big picture, do it. And then as we were there last week in chapters four, verses 10 through 23, we didn't get all the way to 23. Paul now thanks them again for their incredible gift. And in this incredible thank you, uh, he says something else. He says, remember I told you at the beginning of the letter that my circumstances in prison may seem like a burden, but they are advancing the gospel. Watch what happens now. He doesn't only say, hey, It's awesome because it's advancing the gospel. He also says, it's been the gift for me because he says these sufferings, this imprisonment has not been my burden, but my teacher. And I have learned in this place, the secret of being content. If I had not been in this prison, perhaps I would never know fully the beauty of the secret of being content found only in Jesus. So pay attention, Westerners, once again, pause here for a second. We are avoidant of all sufferings. We see sufferings as an opposition to the good life, an opposition to what God intends for us, an opposition to the way things should be. When our relationships aren't as they should be, we begin the journey of saying, unless this can get fixed and not be difficult, I want out and I should be out because suffering is evil and bad. When we have things affecting our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and they are sufferings, we immediately begin a hunt to try to eliminate that. Now, should we simply look for suffering and want it? No, but when it is present, if all we see is that it is an opposition to what is God's goodness, then we are missing the entirety of the story of scripture about what it means to be on this planet. On this planet, James, the author who wrote the first letter to the early New Testament church, started his letter this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the refining or testing of your faith develops perseverance, which must finish its work. We're back to Philippians, him finishing work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The way of the kingdom of God as it collides with the kingdom of earth is that in our struggles, often our teaching happens because our suffering is also our teacher. And when we are taught well, we learn the secret of being content. You may now open the Bible to the verses we're going to deal with today. And you may be saying, hold on, that can't be true. You have like eight minutes. I know. I might make it 12. Let's see what happens. So that gets us all the way to uh, uh, verse 20 of the book of Philippians. Uh, I said 23 because 21 and 22 and 23 are really part of this final piece of greeting, but we're gonna focus now on these last three little verses, which considering everything we just talked about, what Paul does here is extraordinary in the way that he accomplishes in a simple greeting, multiple realities for the church in Philippi to encourage them, empower them, strengthen them, call them, set them on right path and summarize all of what he said in this little greeting. And you're like, there's no way, not gonna happen. Oh yes, watch. So look what he says, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is unique. Like, what do you mean? 
Well, uh, if you go back to Paul's other letters though, he says, hey, I'm, I'm greeting all of you. Hi. He's, he's often kind of focused in, hey, hi to this person, hi to that person, greet this person, see that person. He kind of, he kind of calls some people out. And not that his intent is ever in calling them out to say they have some kind of a status, perhaps a relationship with me, a reality that makes them unique. But in some ways, when you are saying, hey, everybody, and oh my gosh, Bill and Sarah, and it's so great to see you guys too. There is in a room like this, that bit of a feeling like, oh man. And here he doesn't do that. He sticks to a singularity, greet how many of the saints, saints being the followers of Jesus, how many of them? All of them. Who's this letter for? All of them. This letter, as are all the other letters, but Paul is trying to solidify whatever I've written down in here, who should be called to know and follow this? All of us. I don't care if you found Jesus six minutes ago. The letter of Philippians is for you. And I don't care if you just stood on the stage after years of process to become someone that says, I am an elder and you should follow me as I follow Christ. This letter is for you equally. And so this one is for all of you. And he says, hey, listen, greet all the saints, the ones I know, the ones I don't know, the ones that came to Jesus while I was in Philippi, the ones that came to Jesus since I left Philippi, the ones I've never met, the ones I will never meet, the ones I know deeply, greet them all, this letter is for you. What a beautiful thing in a letter that has been saying all along, we can't do this alone if we're gonna follow Jesus well. He says, greet all the saints, greet them all. And then he says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Don't you love the, not just even all, how many saints? Every one of them. Everyone. Don't miss a single one. The brothers who are with me greet you. So now he's like, hey, and everyone here says hi. So I love that. I love that. Tell every saint there I say hi. And every saint here that's with me says hi. You don't know them all. You may not have even heard their names. But while I'm writing this letter, they were like, hey, tell the Philippians hi. Why, why do you think that is? What a beautiful thing it is, is it not? That we should know that our story is a story that others know of. They may know not of us, but they know of our story. And so what he's saying here is, you Philippians have been so faithful, stay faithful. Your story matters, not just to the kingdom of God and his glory, but to us and the brotherhood here. We are encouraged by your story. And so I just want to say to you that Paul is saying to us, stay faithful. Many know of your story that you don't know they know of your story. Did you know that in our city, did you know that in our nation, there are reputations tied to this community that you do not know of, that are beautiful and powerful because of the way you all live? The things that matter to Jesus that we've taken on, that matter to us. Others have heard of these things. I get uh, regular engagements in our city or around the nation saying, oh, I've heard of that community mosaic and what they do in this or that or the next thing. And that is beautiful. And Paul is saying, the brothers here all greet you, man. They all know your story. Hang in there. Keep it up. Do your thing. And then he says this. All the saints greet you. Now, isn't this interesting? The brothers who are with me greet you. Now he says, and, and all the saints actually here greet you, all of them, not just the ones that are with me, but the ones in Rome. 
basically all the saints here greet you, but look what he says, especially. Now, I, I told you already that in this, Paul is kind of doing this thing where he's like, I'm kind of grouping everything. I'm, I'm not going especially. I'm not saying, hey, hi, everyone, especially you, Sarah, and, and you, Billy. It's so great to see you. He's not doing that, right? But now he puts in especially. So who is this especially person? that's about to greet them. Is it perhaps Epaphroditus and uh, especially Epaphroditus? He super misses you. That could be it. Or could it be somebody else that maybe the church in Philippi knows and they're like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. It's actually a grouping of people, but it's the most interesting little grouping. And again, may I just say, pause here for a second, pay attention. When you are reading this sacred thing that is a living, breathing thing, how many of the words in here should you skip and ignore? Zero because God put every one of them there with intent and they all matter. Do not assume that there is a single word or sentence in this uh, incredible book that does not matter to something that at a certain moment, God is not intending to utilize in your life or mine. And this little moment, especially the saints of what matters a great deal, watch. Especially those of Caesar's household. Who? Who are these people? Where is Paul? in Rome, in prison. Why is Paul in Rome? Because he appealed to Caesar so that he could preach the gospel to Caesar when he was in prison. Now he's in Rome waiting for his opportunity to stand before Caesar that will probably cost his life. We know it did. Uh, he doesn't know that yet, but he has assumed it might because in the Philippians letter, he said, I might live, I might die, not totally sure. Either way, totally good because if I die, then I'm with Jesus. That's awesome for me. If I live, then I participate with Jesus on this planet of death for you all. That's awesome as well. So he's, he's good either way, but he knows it might might go either way, but he's there to go to Caesar. And he said to them at the beginning of the letter, I'm in prison right now. And you may think I'm stuck here because I should have been in Spain doing a big work, but instead I'm right here doing a bigger work, even though it seems smaller to you humans. And what is that bigger work? The gospel has advanced among the prison guards. It's a big deal. People of deep Roman embeddedness have come to know Jesus. Here in the prison, they're still guarding me. I got, I got you, Paul. I love Jesus. It's amazing. Can you tell me a little more? You can't leave. I'll get in trouble. The point is, Paul has said this has been happening. Now he says something else. There are some people in a household that have come to know Jesus. Whose household? Caesar's household. Now, in, in this day and age, when they used the word household, they did not necessarily mean family, could mean family, but a household was made up of all who were in that home for the sake of the person. So your household might include the guards, they might include the, the people serving in the kitchen, they might include the cooks and the chefs, they might include the nannies. They, I mean, this is Caesar, this is Caesar. He's got a big giant palace and there's lots of people that live in the palace and work alongside Caesar. And that would be considered his household. So it might include some of his family members, but from a historical context, we have no evidence to say that any of Caesar's family came to know Jesus or didn't come to know Jesus. We just don't know. But what we do know is Paul said there are people in the house of Caesar who have come to know Jesus and they greet you. Where do the Philippians live? In Philippi. That's right. That's good. That's excellent. Well done. 
And the context of Philippi is like the context of Rome, a place where the embeddedness of Rome is strong. And you might, as if you're the church of Philippi, say, our work here is harder than anybody else's work. You know, often I talk to church planters in this nation, and every church planter believes that their city is the hard ground, is the terrible ground, is the very hard stuff. And we, the rest of us, are lucky that we're in easy cities. Truth is the entire planet is hard ground. And what Paul is saying here is here in the middle of Rome where Caesar lives in his house, people are coming to know Jesus because I am here in prison. How encouraging should that be to the Philippians to say, do you think that the most loyal of loyal Romans in your city might come to know Jesus? Because the power of the gospel is bigger than you or me. When we preach the gospel to someone, it is not our acumen, our articulation, our wonder, our personalities, our this or our that that changes a heart ever, ever, ever. It is the very nature of the beauty of this powerful thing we are sharing, the good news of Jesus. And when we share it with someone, Paul's like, I've shared it with people in his household. They know Jesus. This is crazy. So as you live in Philippi and you are now a follower of Jesus, who is representing your new king and your new kingdom to a people who have a king and a kingdom on this planet that they take very seriously. They either love or hate. Because in Rome, there were people that loved Rome and people that hated Rome, neither of which knew Jesus. And he's saying, if you encounter people that love Rome, it's about Jesus that you engage with them. And if you encounter people that hate Rome, it's about Jesus that you encounter them. You neither hate people because they hate Rome, nor do you love people because they hate Rome. You neither hate people because they love Rome, nor do you love people because they hate Rome. You love Jesus and you want them to know Jesus. And when you tell them about Jesus, even if they may initially seem very opposed to Jesus, there are people in Caesar's household that greet you in the name of Jesus. Philippians, you're going to be okay. Americans, you're going to be okay. If you walk out of here and you hide Jesus because you're afraid that this culture is not going to like you as much if you bring him or you shape, gosh, no, should you do it? Yes, you should. Or you shape Jesus and his kingdom to match this one so that it feels more like this one so that you don't feel as opposed and you are lost to the beauty of participating with Jesus to represent him and his kingdom. Let us not be those people, but let us look deeply into Jesus and know him and his kingdom, that that is what drives us. So Paul says, wherever you find yourself, I'm currently in prison in Rome and I want to see Caesar. So I'm engaging with a lot of the household of Caesar. And guess what I've been doing to them? Apparently preaching the gospel to them because now they greet you in the name of Jesus. Followers of Jesus in this place, listen to me carefully. Across your street, there live humans. Next to you on the right and the left, there live humans. You might say, I'm on a 10 acre piece. Walk five acres and you'll run into them. Across the hallway from your office, there live humans. In the classroom across the way in your school, there live humans. In the desk sitting next to you, there live humans. And many of them do not yet know of the freedom and beauty and wonder of Jesus. And they are both watching your life and hearing your words. If you match their space, they will never know who you follow and never know the kingdom to which you belong. 
and what a tragedy that would be for them and for you. You missing out on participation with King Jesus and them missing out on knowing him because you showed them Jesus well. What Paul's saying here is, man, wherever you find yourself, cross the street. Cross the street and tell them about Jesus. Get to know them well enough that it's not weird when you tell them about Jesus. Hi, I'm Renault. Can I share with you about Jesus? Oh no, they moved in. No, no, not like that. Get to know them, then show them and tell them about Jesus. Final piece, and then we're done. All this, the entire thing I just talked about for the entire last 35 minutes, to be fair, 40 minute, 39 minutes and 58 seconds. <clears throat> this entire thing is a, is a large calling. It doesn't feel so overwhelming in this room because we're gathered here with other saints and we're like, yeah! but give it 12 hours, two hours, an hour, go to lunch. And you'll be like, I can't do it. I get it. And so this is how Paul ends. Here it is. Watch. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The spirit of Jesus be with your spirit. Holy Spirit, be with our spirit. Holy Spirit, be with our spirit. Because if you are not with our spirit, we cannot do what you are asking us to do. It's too much. It's too heavy. We have too much flesh, too much world, too much other humans, too much fear, too much anxiety, too much everything. And we can't do the beautiful things that you are asking us to do. So, Holy Spirit, be with our spirit. Because at the end of the day, folks, where did we start this letter? I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And he ends here. Oh, Jesus, may your grace be with our spirit. Because but for your grace, we cannot be your people. You will never arrive at the feet of Jesus and have him be impressed with you. You will arrive at the feet of Jesus and you will be impressed with him and he will love you. Not because you are impressed with him, but because he is good and he loves you. So let us stop and abandon this constant effort to try and show that I'll go across the street and I'll do this and I'll live perfectly and I'll do this so that you will know that I am faithful. Instead, let us say this, because you are faithful to me and you are completing a work in me, I will be faithful and obedient and live for you because I have come to know that I want you more than anything else. And Jesus, may I never forget that the fact that I am a child of yours and that I am growing into your likeness and that I will be complete is a gift from God. Whatever you end up being, in your righteousness, it is because of the glory and goodness of Jesus. So may we worship him for his goodness that he would say to us in a book like this, I am making you such a thing, human, that follows me, that this book will become possible for you. What a thing to imagine that he is doing a work in me and you such that he could ask us a thing like the book of Philippians. 
that we could realize that should stir your soul deeper than you can imagine and cause you to go, that's what you're making me? And we should go, thank you, Jesus. And so we stand, but for the grace of Jesus, we are nothing. So Jesus, may your grace be with my spirit, your spirit be with my spirit, so that I might be like you and live for you. The book of Philippians. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible and extraordinary grace and love toward us that we stand here certain of this, that because you saved us, because you are working in us and because you have promised to us in your faithfulness that you will complete us, that we stand confident of our completion. And in that confidence, God, it is there that born out of that confidence is gratitude and out of that gratitude is worship and out of that worship is a zealousness to want to be like you. Not because we have to, but because we get to. May we be a people of extraordinary obedience, not out of fear of your punitive realities, not out of effort to prove to you faithfulness so that we might be honored as good and faithful servants with a status that others have failed to gain. But instead, God, may we be a people that work diligently at obedience to you because we have come to learn and are learning that your way is freedom, your call is life, and obedience to you takes us on a path of goodness. So may we be followers that learn and strive each day more and more that you are more than enough, that you are everything, and that our life on this planet as friend or as coworker, as spouse or as child or parent, as, as fellow human is not about the things it gives us or the things we get to give, but it is about the opportunity in each of those things to represent your attitude and your way and your being and your personhood and your good gospel, good news to the other humans. Whether in poverty or wealth, whether in sickness or health, whether free or in prison, whether hungry or well-fed, whether, whether, whether stable or unstable, whether uh, an economic bliss or an economic crash, whether a job or a no job, God, may we learn that wherever we find ourselves, there, there is a street to cross and someone to meet to show them who you are by the way we think, live, speak, and what we share with them. Make us a people that would like you and like the Philippians. Engage with our culture in such love and gentleness and such truth and clarity that they would know you because they see and hear from us. Make it so, Jesus, we pray. Amen.